I noticed that you all have a lot of training tracks down here. And uh, we, we, I enjoy training. And we uh, taught a train this last year in June, uh, Amtrak, out to uh, Montana with your son White. And that was a very enjoyable ride. You could sit back and you could watch the scenery go by. You could take a nap. You could get up and walk around and visit with other people. Um, very, very enjoyable time. It was enjoyable to go to see our son wife. Because we came. And um, it wasn't just the training. But it was because we wanted to go see our son. So, this is titled, Train in the Way. Now, I'm not saying that there is a train in the way, but we need to train in the way of God's Word. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train means not to Train means to initiate or discipline, or to initiate discipline. In the way is a road, something that's trodden, a course of life, an action or a mode of action. And training involves works. When I was in high school, I went out for the track team. And part of the training was going to the weight room, and we had to do a certain amount of leg presses, we had to do a certain amount of squats, we had to certain, do a certain amount of other training. We had to go out into the, the local town there, and there was a, there was a road, Thompson, it was called Thompson Street, in the town of Dayton. And it was a steep. And our coach would make us run Thompson sprints. And it was mental. And then, on other days, he would say, okay, we're going to run the three and a half mile loop. And that was out through the countryside up beside the lake, back around, and then back to school. That was a little more doable. The weight room was great. The, the three and a half mile loop, that wasn't too bad. But the Thompson sprints were miserable. Because we had to sprint up that long hill and then jog back down. And sprint up that hill and jog back down. And when he said Thompson sprints, the whole team was like, oh. No pain, no gain. And I'm not specifically talking about physical pain, but I'm talking about sacrifice. I'm talking about sacrifice on our part as parents. And this work, this discipline, this training, it involves work. 
And if we're not willing to put forth the effort, we're going to get nothing in return. And I told our children toe-to-toe, face-to-face, many times, if I didn't care about your soul, I wouldn't say a word. I would just let you go. But it's because I care. It is because I care that I'm willing to face the work, the pain. I'm willing to face what it takes to help you understand where I am, where you need to be. But if we're not willing to care for their soul, to stand up for where we think God wants us to be, then we are just saying, oh honey, it's okay if you go to heaven. It don't really matter where your soul is in. In training our children, we need to have the want to. We need to have the no pain, no, no gain attitude to give our children the best training that they could possibly have. We have one opportunity in this life to impart to our children faith. A faith that will not only allow them in the presence of God when he comes to claim his bride, but it will excuse me. But it will allow them to reach out with a faith. Just consider what is riding on your decisions or your discipline or your lack of discipline. And the way that we live personally as parents, somebody follows you. I sang that little jingle last evening. Somebody follows you watching the things you do. And if we are not living a life worthy, and our children are not getting a proper picture of God and how we live, how we talk, how we act, how we respond, this never-dying soul that God has entrusted in your hands, Tell you what, that's a sobering, sobering thought to me. And we all know that more is taught than taught. And when our children were little, you know, when our children were little, they were learning to talk, they were learning to communicate. And you hear them talk to someone else, and they say this phrase that you recognize came directly out of your mouth, and you think, oh, did I actually say that? And are they actually repeating that? And so Paul, our daughter stayed at your house last night. Uh, there's, uh, there's certain family things that you just don't talk about. <laughs> uh, more talk than talk. We need to have the want to we need to have the desire to make an impact on our children eternally. And if we're not willing to make that sacrifice, if we're not willing to give up our selfish desires, wow, that's sobering. I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. God gave some very specific instructions to the children of Israel. And these are familiar verses, and yet there are some really key teachings 
in these verses. And I know that we are more of a New Testament church, and yet some of the principles that God transmitted from the Old Testament to the New Testament are valuable, and we need these to help us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach that he might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I commanded thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life. Now let's look at that just a bit. God gave them instructions, commandments, and judgments. And he said that you might teach them, but you might do them. And then he said that I command thee for you, for your children, and for your grandchildren. And then verse 3 says, Hear, hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that flows with milk and honey. Let's put this in the heaven realm, the heavenly realm. Let's not look at this as walking into the physical land of Canaan, but let's look at this in the light of ushering our children into heaven. And then he says, Hear, O Israel, the command. The Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. This diligently diligently means intention. It means to pierce. It means to sharpen. It means to wet, like on a wet stain or yes. And so are we diligently sharpening our children and our own lives? And then in verse 8 it says, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt fasten them as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gate. You know, we don't physically do that. We don't physically put them on our hand, or we don't physically hang them between our eyes, as some of those Orthodox Jews did, Israelites. We don't necessarily write them on the walls of our house, although we do hang some scripture verses, some plaques, some sayings, some good quality things in our houses to help us to remember. I see that in the houses that I that we visit. And that's a blessing because it is before our eyes continually. And that's what God is telling us. But it's not just telling us to hang a picture on the wall. It's not just telling us to hang a saying on the wall, but it's saying, have it before you always. And you'll prosper. And it's not that you're going to prosper physically. You're not going to prosper financially. 
but it's that we will prosper before God spiritually. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which thou diggest not, and vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, be full, beware, lest thou forget the Lord. People, we are in a land of affluence. We are in a land that is wealthy. And I would dare say that many of our families have more than adequate. Let's not forget God. Because God, in His abundant mercy, has brought us out of the miry clay. And it is just by God's sovereign grace in your life that you were not born in a mud hut somewhere in the far reaches of this world. It is by God's sovereignty that you were not raised in a false religion somewhere in this world. But as we look around us, even in the nation, the affluence that we have, we have people that are growing up very near to us that know nothing or very little of Christ, of God. Are they seeing Him in you, in me, in our family? Verse 12 again. Then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. This land of Egypt was bondage. Okay? We were in bondage to sin. And God has brought us out of bondage. Not to this cushy little Mennonite church where we can sit in the comfort, where we have, we'll have plenty to eat here afterwards. You know, we tend to say, oh, well, we're blessed of God. But truly, we are blessed of God. Beware lest we forget the Lord. Verse 13, Thou shalt fear the, fear the Lord thy God and serve Him and shalt swear by His name. He shall have no, he shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off of the face of the earth. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. Ye shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he hath commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord served to thy fathers, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee, as the Lord hath spoken. And when thy son asks thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then shalt thou say unto thy son, This is what happened. We were in bondage. Do you have a testimony of where God has saved you from, or what God has saved you from? And do you share that with your children? And I know that not everybody has this apostle called Damascus experience. I understand that. 
but we still should have a testimony of what God has gradually done and taught and gleaned, you have gleaned in your life. Because I dare say that today, if you are following God and living in obedience to His Word, you are further along in your Christian life today than you were some days before. And if you're not, then let's start some positive things. No pain, no gain. Let's get to work. Let's get her done. Let's go to the weight room. Okay? Let's run that three and a half miles. Let's do it. Because there is a lot riding on your decision today, this moment, this hour. And there are people that are watching, and your children, your brothers and sisters, your nieces, your grandchildren, they are watching. And it doesn't matter where we are in life, we have a certain responsibility, and that is to share a testimony of God and what He has done in my life personally. God wants us to communicate with our children. He says it right here in Deuteronomy. He needs us. To, he wants us to communicate, not just because I said to do this, but because this is what God expects, and this is because I truly, dearly love you and your soul, and I want what's best for you eternally. And so, communication to me has been one of the key things in relation in relationships, specifically with our children. How can you better understand or get to know someone unless you sit around the breakfast table or unless you sit around a party in the evening and discuss things, family, life, and get to know people and get to know what's going on in your life, in their life, you have to communicate. You have to talk in order for that to happen. And we should not just talk at our children. <laughs> we do that sometimes. But we should talk to them. Communicate with them. Communication is not just talking. But it is listening. It's observing. And it may be asking some questions. We communicate by time spent, meals, work, play. I won't ever forget. Now, I love, I, I used to, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little too busy now. I used to love to go bow hunting. And when bow season came in, I'm out of here. I got stuff to do. As you know, a guy's got to do what a guy's got to do. Got to provide meat for the table. And so both season came, and well, we had chores to do. And sometimes my wife would do those chores for me. And then we started having children, and she would have all the children. And I wanted to go bow hunting, and sometimes I would neglect the chores and go bow hunting. Don't tell me. Come back and do chores later. And I started feeling, and so for a time, I postponed my bow hunting. Not completely, but for a time, there, there, there was a time period where our children were young that I didn't spend as much time in the woods. But let me tell you, when they got big enough to go along, hold it, here we go. 
And so I, oh, I put them along. We never could do it. <laughs> oh, so many times, so many times we would go into the woods, into the fields, into the work, you know, the fence row. Rachel went with us one time, and she was a bookworm. And so we were sitting in the fence row, watching and waiting for deer, and she was sitting in the book. She went back to the truck, and we, the boys and I, stayed there. And it wasn't very long, so we decided, you know what, we're, we're going we're gonna to get out of here too. That was one of the last times Rachel went hunting with me. Because Rachel didn't want the pain. She didn't want the, she didn't have the desire to be there. She said, rather be reading her book. And I'm, I'm okay with that. But our boys would go with, with me, and we would go sit in a fence row or sit in a tree stand or something like that. And there were so many times that we just melted down with some laughter of something because of something someone snickered or said or did or, I don't know. We never, we never saw very many deer. We never saw very many deer. So, wow. The conversations that come from those times are very humorous around our table today. Individual attention. Find out how their day was. Listen and observe. Our favorite time or my favorite time, I think I can say this for Paul as well, our favorite time together as a family was when we came home from school, from work, from whatever, and sat around the supper table. We talked about what happened at school, what was going on in youth, what we need to do around the farm, who said what or who did what. I can't believe this happened, you know. And it was a lot of enjoyment sitting around that table. And our table was noisy. And when people came to visit and they sat around our table with us, oh, our children were noisy and we were embarrassed. That time spent that time spent for me to provide But it wasn't all fun and games, okay? So, y'all know that. We know that. And obedience in our lives speaks to our children. Communication speaks to our children. But more is taught than taught. And obedience in our lives is going to speak way louder than an instruction. And if we're not obedient, living in obedience to God and His Word, there is no way that we can expect that from our children. To follow biblical directives, 
we can give them instruction, like it says, that you might do them. I mean, sorry, we can give them instruction, but unless we actually live it out, more is taught than taught. God wants us to live it out first. He said there in verse 1, These are the commands, the statutes, the judgments that the Lord your God commanded to you, that you might do them in the land where you go into the desert. God wants us to live it out first. But He also, I believe, wants us to expect something from our children. If we never have a goal, if we never have expectations, if we never have something for them to work towards, what would life be like for our children? And so, we expected things from our children. We expected them to do their work. And if they didn't do their work, they got to go do it again. We expected them to finish their job. We expected them to apologize when they were wrong. We had high expectations for our children, not the highest, not like some other families, and maybe not as low as some other families. You know, it's not good to compare yourself among yourselves. Each family has their kind of niche market, if you want to call it that. And that's where they want to draw their battle lines. But if we never expect anything from our children, we're not going to get much in return. Ted Tripp, in his book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, says that obedience is willing submission of one person to the authority of another. And that obedience is without challenge, he had three points, without challenge, without excuse, and without delay. And we can't expect that. And if we don't have those expectations, that's the limit. And we won't have much. Expectations. I did this at school one day. Seventh and eighth grade, teaching Bible class, and I said, you know, we were talking about guidelines. We were talking about um, following God. We were talking about listening, obeying parents, and things like that. And I said, okay, for the next five minutes, maybe three minutes. I said, for the next five minutes, you can do anything in this classroom except break something or hurt someone. And I said, do you understand that? Yes. And so, I said, okay. I set my timer and I turned it on. And some of the students, they stood up on their desks. And some of them sat on the top of the desk. And some of them went and, I don't know, turned the desk around. And they just milled about the room, trying to think of something that they could do within the confines of that room that didn't break something or hurt someone. And it did not take long until these children, they were standing around like, And it was just like really 
kind of eye-opening to them that being bad is just like, well, what's the point? What's the point? And then we sat back down and I said, what would it be like in your home if there were no rules? If there were absolutely nothing that you had to follow, you didn't have to listen to your parents, you didn't have to listen to your brothers and sisters, you didn't have to eat green beans, you didn't have to eat, you could eat your dessert first, you could do whatever you wanted to do. What would it be like in your home? And some were like, that'd be fine. Until they actually experienced it, they were like, there is a certain amount of security in obedience. And we need to recognize that. Because in obedience, God gives us security. And in obedience, God gives our children security. And when we waffle those lines, it kind of knocks the props out from under them. It kind of makes them unstable. It kind of makes them say, well, Dad said this, but he's not doing this. And so I guess it really doesn't matter. And it's confusing. But not only is it confusing to children, it's confusing to other people as well. God has established responsibility for us as parents and for children as well to submit to the authorities in their lives. And so children, young people, in Ephesians 6.1, okay? This is not what I'm saying. This is what God is saying through the inspired writing. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay. Johnny, go wash the dishes. Obey the Lord? I think it should be. It's not that hard. Growing up, there were three boys in my family. My family. My mom didn't have girls, and she, after she got the three boys, she was like, done, I've got enough. My uncle got her a girl, might get another boy. And so we learned to take care of the dishes. <laughs> we had to rinse the dishes and put them in the dishwasher. We had to clean the dishwasher out and put the dishes and stuff away. We had to go get our dirty laundry and throw it down the steps. Now, mom was real gracious in that because. He didn't make us carry our hamper or anything down into the laundry room. She said, just throw it to the bottom of the cup. I'll get it. And we were like, cool. So that worked. The pile got big. We'd go run down the bottom of the cup, jump the pile, go do our thing. And then the next, that, that evening when we got home, pile was gone. Laundry was washed. Clothes put up so we could go take them and put them away. God has established that responsibility for parents and children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6.2, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. And Colossians 3.20, Obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. I'm thankful for God's teaching. I didn't grow up with some of these uh, maybe more refined 
teaching. But mom and dad taught us some good principles because they expected something out of us. My mom was a straight-A student in school, and she expected her boys to make good grades, except for that middle one. But I will tell you this, when I came home with bad grades, there were consequences. And the next six weeks, boy, I tried to work harder so that those consequences wouldn't fall my way. No pain, no gain. And Mom was willing to put forth some pain in my life and some discipline in my life to help us. God has given us as parents the authority to love, to discipline the children that He has entrusted us. And it's for His glory. I hope, I hope we can understand that. It is for His glory. Our, ho- our, ho- our home, our hearts, our, our wives, our children, our lives are for His glory. That is why we are here, to glorify God, Jesus Christ. Can we be challenged like Abraham? In Genesis 18, verse 19 says, For I know Him, that He will command His children and His household after Him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. God has given us the proper order of headship and invested and has vested in us as parents to love, to teach, to discipline our children. To teach our children, as it says in Deuteronomy. But he also says, fathers, listen, we as men don't have the same empathy that our wives have, at least for the most part. I don't say that as like a statement. It says in verse 4 of Ephesians 6, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Why is that instruction in there? Because we think with our head more than our heart. And sometimes we are somewhat, at least I have, been a little unreasonable in some of the things that I have required or asked. And that's where the grace of my wife has helped me. It's a Bible command. Are we following that Bible command? We need to recognize that love and discipline are like hand and glove. They go hand in hand. Proverbs 13, verse 24 says, He that spares his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes or time and time again. And so if we are refraining from correction because we just don't work tired, we just don't have the energy. If you are refraining from correction because you don't have the want to, I fear for you and for your child. Because that relationship will deteriorate between you two personally and that relationship between that child and what they understand about God is going to deteriorate as well. And we need to have the mindset of no pain, no gain. We have to have the want to. We have to sacrifice 
some of our wants and wishes, our bow hunting, our job, our car, our whatever, our business, whatever it is. But if we truly love our children, then we are going to take the time to warn, to instruct, and even to discipline. And discipline is no punishment. But the rewards of discipline are out of this world. And we need to recognize it. Proverbs 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. This foolishness is silliness. And it means a boy in the age of infancy to adolescence, or a girl of the same age. And we see that that is a time of instruction. And I told my wife when our children were young, if we can work hard our, the first six years of this child's life, I've understood through reading that a child learns 85% of life's total knowledge in the first six years. That is a huge percentage. And if we can work hard those first six years to impart to them, this is the way. Follow us in obedience. This is, this is the life. And we might not have to work so hard when they are in the tweens and the teens and early twenties. We had our issues when they were teenagers as well. But, we enjoy our teens. And it was work in the teens as well. But it was worth it. Because we had a relationship. This word rod in verse 15 means a stick for punishment or correction. And I'll share this carefully. Our oldest daughter did not respond well to a stick. And it got to be where it was a fight when there was discipline to be meted out. So I told my wife, I said, something is wrong. And so we switched schools. And it made a huge difference. But the correction is still needed. The warning is still needed. The punishment is still needed. The restoration is still needed. And we need to recognize that. Verse 20, I'm sorry, Proverbs 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. So I'll say this carefully. But I say this, I don't think it's a good idea, this is my personal feeling in reading this verse and some of our experiences, I don't think it's a good idea to send a child to their room alone for punishment. I don't think it's a good idea. They need accountability. During correction and instruction, during some type of discipline, they need accountability and help restoring their heart and their attitude. And you cannot do that when they are in another room, another place, away from you. But we need to be able to 
sit and observe and even converse with them during some of this punishment. We see in the Old Testament that Eli did not restrain his sons, and they were wicked men. We need to take time to give some instruction, but not send them off alone, but to hold them accountable, to continue that conversation even during discipline. Proverbs 29, 17, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. This word correct means to chastise. It means literally with blows, but it can mean with words. And I know that for many times, we can give verbal instruction and correction, and it can be to God. But there may be times when there is direct disobedience where other means need to take place. And I know that if I would ask each one of you, do you love the child that God has entrusted in your care? I would dare say that every one of you would say, absolutely. If you absolutely love that child, then you're going to have to want to. You're going to take the time. You are going to sacrifice. And you're going to make it a regular practice to mold their heart, their lives, their mind in the character of God through God's Word, through regular discipline, through regular communication for God's glory. And it says, He shall give the light to thy soul. If a tool is applied correctly, this tool removes guilt. That pain that is inflicted removes guilt. It restores a relationship. And it also establishes or re-establishes the proper authority that God has ordained. Because we, as a husband and wife, mother and father, paint a picture of God to our children. In our home, I tended to be the law and order. The buck stops here. We are not, you are not doing this. And my wife said, oh, honey, what's about this? <laughs> she was the grace. And I appreciate you. Guiding our children into eternity. It takes something. And God's desire in Deuteronomy is to train all along life's way. Have I done it right all the time? No. Y'all want to do it right? Absolutely. And there have been times where I've had to go back and say, stop. I didn't respond correctly. I didn't do that right. But let's with diligence. And with purpose, seek to follow the path of Abraham in commanding our children, our household, and keeping the way of the Lord again for His glory.
that God loves you as we seek to follow God and His divine.